My Car Guru, Season 11, Episode 131. Hey folks, thanks for tuning in to this edition of My Car Guru. I am your friend in the car business. Your car guy. Do you have one? Do you have a car guy? Are you a car guy? You know, a lot of people that listen to this radio show or this podcast, they know more about cars than I do. They may not know more about the car business than I do because I've been a car dealer. Well, let's see. I always say that I've been a car dealer for 45 years. That's not really true. I've just been full-time employed in the car business for 45 years. I've been a car dealer since 1984. That's actually when I became approved by Chevrolet to be a Chevrolet dealer. It took a while. I was a little bit too young. and They didn't want me to be a car dealer yet. Now, I don't know what age you have. I don't guess there's an age limit, but uh, I'm just glad I became one because I've had a pretty good career overall. A lot of ups and downs, though. It's not been easy. Competition's been tough. The economy has been tough. We've been through a number of recessions. I remember in 80, I think it was about 1980, uh, when prime rate was 18%. And, you know, to get a car loan, it was probably in the low 20s. And also, you know, to finance a house. I mean, to get a mortgage on a house, it was ridiculous. We, we bought a house from my in-laws in 1980, and... Uh, they had a rate of six and three quarters percent, which we were able to assume that. I don't. Let, I don't think they let you assume mortgages anymore, but back in those days, they did. But to actually get a mortgage on a house, it was like in the 12, 13 percent range, as I recall, which would have been totally unaffordable for us in our situation. But yeah, I've been a car dealer for that period of time. I actually, let's see, I was a Chevrolet dealer first. So when I say I became a dealer, that means that Chevrolet Motor Division of General Motors accepted my application to be on something called Paragraph 3rd. Now, Paragraph 3rd is what it sounds like. It's the third paragraph of the dealer uh, sales and service agreement. And uh, that is the paragraph that says who is the actual person that they are going to look to in terms of... Um, accountability and performance and so forth like that. Because if you're not a good dealer, you can be terminated. You can obviously be terminated for, you know, getting a felony conviction, filing bankruptcy. You know, all, there's a whole bunch of different things that will get you terminated as a car dealer. One is fraud. You know, like if you commit warranty fraud, that would be where you are filing claims um, for warranty on cars that, you know, it's not legitimate, like you're filing false claims just to get money from the manufacturer. Because, you know, if you come into the dealership and your, let's say your engine has failed, it's under warranty. Let's say that back then it would cost $5,000 to put a new engine in it. And we would file a claim and uh, with General Motors or Chevrolet, and then they would pay us. They would send us a check for $5,000. And it's based on the cost of parts. Uh, they let us mark up the parts a certain percentage. Back then, I think it was 40%, which sounds like a lot, but it's really not that much. But they would let us mark up the parts, and then uh, they would pay us our flat rate, our door rate, 
um, in, in terms of the number of hours that we worked on the vehicle times that rate, that would be the labor charge. So they would reimburse us for that so the customer didn't have to pay anything. Well, what if somebody came uh, nobody came in, sorry. Nobody came in. We filed a claim on a bogus car. Let's say it was a real car with a real VIN number, but there was really no engine failure. We filed the claim, and they paid us $5,000 for an engine that we didn't put in. That, my friends, would get you terminated if they caught it. That's the main thing. They uh, Typically, back in those days, they well, still, they do warranty audits. So they'd come in, and they would uh, go through probably a year's worth of warranty tickets and just try to find something. And um, they always did. They always found some mistake that we made, some... We put the wrong code on something or, you know, we we asked for more labor than we were entitled to, so they would charge it back. I've never, in all the time I've been a car dealer, I think our the most that I have ever paid back to the manufacturer was probably four or $500. I mean, it was just insignificant because we, we run a clean ship when it comes to warranty claims because I don't want to get terminated. So anyway, I was a uh, Chevrolet dealer, and then I became a Mazda dealer, and then I bought a Ford dealership from uh, the local dealer. You know, when I say I bought a Ford dealership, what does that mean? Does that mean I just went in and say, I'm going to buy you out? No, that's not exactly how it works. Matter of fact, there's this fast food place in East Tennessee. It's called Pals. If you're listening here in East Tennessee, to uh, the local radio station that broadcasts this show, then you know what PALS is. If you are a podcast listener, PALS is a a drive-through. It's a hot dog stand, and it looks kind of cute because it's got a big old hot dog on the top of it, and uh, some French fries. They call them Frenchy fries, and a drink, and that's part of the architecture of the building. And so you pull up to one side, place your order, you drive around the back of the building to the other side and pick up your order. It's a very unique thing and it's a very profitable company. Well, there's only one PALS. Well, I'll take that back. There used to be one in Kingsport, and there may still be where you can actually go in and eat. I'm not 100% sure, but there's still one in Greenville, Tennessee, that you can actually walk in and order your food, and they have tables, and you can eat there. Well, one Sunday, I walked into PALS to get some tea. It's kind of a typical thing for me and my wife. And so I got a a tea, and I looked over, and I saw, this is interesting. There was the Ford dealer in Greenville with a person that I knew to be uh, a used car dealer in Kingsport and also two other people that I knew to be in the car business. I said, this is strange. Something's cooking so I said hi to all of them. They said hi to me back. Uh, that next Monday, this was on Sunday. So Monday, I called that dealer here in Greenville, Tennessee, and I said, you know, I don't want to be forward or anything, and I, I just just want to make sure that if you are thinking possibly about selling your dealership, I would certainly be interested in talking to you about it. Well, he said, no, I'm not really interested. We were just visiting the other day, and it's, you know, it's, I'm not interested. A week later, he calls me back and said, you still interested in buying my dealership? And I said, yes, sir, Bob. So that was 2005. We bought the Ford dealership. I had partners back then. They, We all worked together. I became the dealer, though, at that dealership. It used to be called Town Gate Ford, 
And then let's see, well, it was called Don Smith Ford when I bought it, and now it's Gateway Ford. And that's I'm sitting in the office at Gateway Ford right now. So at that point, we had the Chevy store. I forgot that I was the Oldsmobile dealer too. And the Mazda, oh, I said Mazda and Mitsubishi. I had gotten the Mitsubishi franchise. So, you know, if you buy a dealership, it's kind of interesting. So we worked out the numbers, and I was basically buying his assets of his company. There's two different ways that you can buy a dealership. You can buy the assets of the corporation plus an amount to be determined as what we call blue sky. So that is, you're not really buying anything like a hard asset, like a lift or a tools or cars or anything like that. You're just paying them for, you know, the value of the business, what he thinks the value is. So we paid over the asset value for it, which, again, that's called Blue Sky. That's one way you can buy it. Or you can buy the actual corporation. So, you know, usually dealerships are either a sub-S corporation, a C corporation. They could be an LLC corporation. This particular one happened to be a sub-S. So the guy I was buying it from had partners. So we, we bought the dealership, bought the assets, plus the blue sky. But still, we can't just go in and say, okay, we're taking over. Doesn't work that way. Have to be approved by Ford. At that time, he also had Lincoln and Mercury. So I had to be approved by the Ford Motor Company to be the Ford dealer. That took about 30, 30 to 60 days. I don't remember exactly. But from the time I ran into him or them at that little pal's restaurant to the time I actually walked into the dealership and, and took over, it was a year. That's how long it took. We had lots of twists and turns in that one. Okay, so after that, we bought a Chevrolet dealership in western North Carolina. I became partners in another Chevrolet dealership in Morristown, Tennessee. What else did we buy? We bought a uh, Toyota dealership in Bristol, Tennessee, and I was a partner in that. So I was not the dealer operator in that one. I I was just an investor. So people can invest in a car dealership and not actually run it, not be responsible for it. And so there's all kinds of interesting little twists and turns. But the thing about uh, one another point I want to make is that when you buy a dealership, again, you're, you're buying the assets and stuff. The, the franchise, you don't pay Ford for that. For example, you know, Ford doesn't have, okay, you owe us a million dollars for uh, the right to, to uh, sell our cars. No. You know how much a franchise actually costs, whether it's Ford or Chevrolet or or Toyota, or whatever, you know how much it cost? Nothing. Zero. You don't buy the franchise. Now, that's not the way it is when you're talking about a lot of fast food restaurants and, you know, other types of franchises. You have to pay a franchise fee, and you have to pay them royalties sometimes or a percentage of, of all your revenue. That, that, that's not the way it works in the car business. Franchise is free. They grant it to you. But there is a big but. That sounded weird. Uh, you have to basically meet their standards. So you got to build a building. It's got to say Ford on it or, or Nissan. Like we just added on to our Ford store, and, it, you know, it was very expensive to, to build. I did it during the pandemic and uh, had to build this big, beautiful showroom. And, 
and uh, service drive. Didn't have to build a service department because they let me use the, the Ford service department because it had plenty of room. But yeah, it doesn't cost anything to get the franchise, but you've got to meet all their standards. So you've got to have a building, you've got to have a lot. You've got to buy parts from them. You've got to uh, buy all the cars and, and put them out on, on your lot. Of course, we order all of those. But yeah, the franchise, it doesn't cost anything. Zero. That's a pretty good deal, isn't it? It is, until you think about all the other stuff you have to buy. So at, at one time, I, I was involved in five different dealerships. And so we had the Great Recession, which was no fun at all. And uh, we blew things up. We ended up dividing the dealerships into three pieces. And I took the Ford and the Mazda and the Lincoln and the Mercury side of it. And then my partners took the other parts. At that point, my dad wasn't really involved in the business. And uh, so everything worked out. It was not easy, though. That was 2009. And so we ended up, uh, you know, restructuring a lot of things and just had to fight, you know, to be able to survive that. And then I lost my son in a car accident. And that just uh, pretty much did me in, or almost did. Um, But, you know, it was weird just how, you know, you go through the economic turmoil and all the fear of like going out of business and filing bankruptcy and all that kind of stuff. There were a lot of fears. I mean, all of that was possible, but we fought and fought and, and we just were able to pull it out. We were determined to fight it out and make it. And then we lose my son. And I thought all the business stuff was hard, but it paled in comparison to that. And so we rallied as a family and fought through that. And so ended up, um, we were a Ford and a Lincoln and a Mercury dealer. Well, Mercury went away, and we gave up the Lincoln franchise because it just, they wanted us to build a new showroom, and it was, you know, when you're selling three or four Lincolns a month, it just doesn't pay to build a new showroom. And all the other stuff that they wanted us to do, and we said, and just like a lot of other Ford Lincoln dealers, we gave it up. Right now, I don't think there's a single Lincoln dealer. I think the closest Lincoln dealer to us is in Knoxville, Tennessee, and that's 80 or 70, 80 miles away from where I am. So we gave up the Lincoln franchise. We had Mazda. We weren't doing very well with Mazda. The uh, Nissan dealership became available. Well, it didn't really become available. I, I approached the guy that owned it, and I said, will you sell me a Nissan franchise? And he said, no. And I said, how come? He said, I'll sell you the Nissan but you've got to buy the uh, Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram as well, and I didn't want to. I didn't want those. I'd been a my dad and I were the uh, Chrysler Plymouth Dodge dealer in Greenville, and I didn't like it then. And so um, I just said, no, I won't do that. But I'll I'll buy the Nissan franchise. He said, well, I'm not selling it by itself. But I kept pestering him, and I kept sending him text messages. One day I sent him a text message and I said, I still want the Nissan store. Please price it to me. I didn't get anything from him. No response for about two hours. All of a sudden, there was a number that was texted to me. And I knew what that number meant. And that number was a pretty good number. And so uh, I got back with him and I said, okay, let's do this. I'll finish that story here in just a minute.
Yep, buying that Nissan franchise. Again, I didn't buy the franchise. I bought the assets. Uh, Nissan, once they approved me, they saw the experience that I had. They said, okay, we'll let you have the franchise. It's free, but you got to build us a showroom, and you got to do all this other stuff, which we ended up doing. But it was not easy because we had an agreement. Uh, what you do is when you come to an agreement with another dealer to buy his assets or buy his corporation, you have to basically draw up a buy-sell agreement. And those are the terms uh, under which you will, uh, you know, when you will close the deal and, you know, what you will do, what he's required to do and provide. And it's a very complicated document. But we had had that and we signed it. And we were all good. So then I applied with Nissan to be the dealer. Well, that took a while. Man, lots of paperwork. Unbelievable amount of paperwork. And all the background checks and all that stuff, I mean, it's just crazy. If you were to see all the documentation I had to turn over, it would fill a very thick ring binder notebook. So we got to the point where uh, we were supposed to close in a week, and I'm driving to Johnson City uh, to do my re- to record my radio show. I used to go up there and do it. Now I do it in my office. But um, I was on the road, and the phone rang, and it was this, this guy, this dealer, I answered the phone. He never called me by my first name. He said, Lawson. He said, I've decided not to do this deal. I said, what? He said, yeah, I just don't want to do this deal. What he really wanted was for me to buy the the whole thing, the Chrysler Dodge and Jeep and Ram and all that stuff. I didn't want that. And he said, well, I said, well, you have to do it. We have a signed agreement. He said, well, you can sue me, whatever you want to do. I said, well, you leave me no choice. So I sued him. So I had to call my lawyer and draw up a lawsuit and all that stuff. So we filed the lawsuit, and he had so many days to respond. I think it was 90 days. On the 89th day, I get a phone call. It's him. He says, well, I've decided to go ahead and do this deal. Well, I'm glad. You know, it was a lot of uh, angst during that time, because I really wanted the Nissan franchise. It was a game changer for for us because, I mean, we were selling five or six Mazdas a month, and we sell 40 Nissans a month. So that's a no-brainer. So anyway, um, the problem was I had to completely refile with Nissan again. And uh, they would not take any of my previous submissions of paperwork. Everything from the pro forma financial statements, the whole thing had to be redone. So that took another 30 days to get all that done. So it was, but it was worth it. It was definitely worth it. So, you know, this is, um, I guess, an inside look for for you. Um, you may not have wanted an inside look at how car dealerships work and, and buying and selling, but uh, it's a very, very complicated business. Probably one of the most. I've had a lot of people come in that have been in other fields like selling insurance, working in factories, um, you name it. I've had all kinds of people that have uh, worked for me over the years, and they had previous careers, and they come into the car business, and they say, my goodness, this is hard. This is a lot harder. And it is. I mean, it's a, uh, you know, we'll have uh, $40 million in sales in a normal year. That's a big business. Now, the profit margins are small. I mean, if you're doing 3% return on sales, you're doing good. Uh, some of the best companies, like, a, well, the most profitable companies are Toyota dealers 
Mercedes, Porsche, and stuff like that, they'll do anywhere from 6 to 8% return on sales, which is big money because they're doing big sales numbers. So, uh, but still, that's a small margin when you compare that to what, you know, a lot of uh, Silicon Valley companies, what their return on sales are. I mean, some of them make 30 and 40% return on sales. That's not the car business, but it's still a lot of fun. Okay, I'm going to take my last break. I'll be back here in just a minute. So you want to buy a car dealership? You know, people, I get calls all the time, at least once a week. Somebody said, uh, it's either a letter, I take that back. It's either a letter or a phone call or an email. You want to sell your dealership? We want to buy it. We've got money available, you know. And that's just not my plan because I've got family in here now. If I didn't have my girls and my nephew and my son-in-law in here, I'd probably sell it. But um, because, I mean, I, I do this for them. And, and the family of employees, too. I mean, I've got a lot of people that, that would probably be very upset if I decided to get out of it. But they're upset. I mean, their uh, anger or worry or whatever wouldn't last very long. Because I wouldn't sell it to somebody who wouldn't, who didn't have the same kind of basic values that I do, and so. But anyway, don't think that as a hint. I'm not selling. I just uh, enjoy this business still. It keeps me active, keeps my mind active, and then it, it's also been a pretty good platform to be able to help other people in multiple different ways. And I enjoy that more than anything at this stage in my life. If I can help you, don't hesitate. To use my cell phone, I only have one, 423-552-2020. Got a call from a lady just yesterday who having problems with her little Mitsubishi. And that's, um, she called me. She heard the radio show. Please help. And I'm helping. She's got an appointment today to bring her car in. We're going to take care of it. So that's the advantage. And if you, if you don't want to bring a car in, if you don't want me to rotate your tires or something like that, if you have issues if you're getting ready to buy something or, or you're thinking about leasing or you want some information on EVs or whatever, I can help you with that. Call me, 423-552-2020, or send me an email, LennyLawson2020 at gmail.com, and I'll see you next time.